Cool. As Leon mentioned, uh, for the next six weeks, we're going to be going through the book of Galatians, which is a letter that was written by Paul. We'll, we'll learn more about that in a moment. But I just thought as we were starting this sort of new service at 5 p.m., I want to just go back to basics. So we're going to look at Galatians, which is really going back to basics about what the Christian faith is all about. Uh, and then, then to round out the year, we're going to be looking at um, uh, habits of grace or spiritual disciplines or what it means to have a, a life centred and formed around Jesus, right? We want to take us back to the very basics uh, to help us understand uh, what it looks like to be a follower of Christ, what it looks like to be his people uh, together as a group but also individually as we scatter throughout the week. Uh, and so, Galatians, this, this series you've probably seen in the bulletin is entitled Freedom, Now What? Freedom, Now What? And we're going to explore this question, uh, exploring what it means to be saved by faith in Christ. All these terms I'll unpack, not through our own good efforts, but then ask the question, uh, well, why and how should we live lives that please God? If we've been saved by faith, through grace, through none of our own good efforts, why bother living a good life? Why bother following Jesus in any sort of way if it's a free gift? We're going to unpack that over the following weeks, right? All of this is addressed in Galatians, six chapters of a short letter. Uh, and we'll be spending tonight in chapters 1 and 2 as just an introduction and an overview, just very briefly. And then uh, next week in chapters 3 and 4, again, just as a quick scan across those chapters. But then the following four weeks, we're going to dive right into chapters 5 and 6, uh, which really get to the heart of what it means to bring the gospel into our everyday lives. Uh, how this beautiful truth of faith and grace affects the way we live. So that's the way we'll be doing it. Uh, and so tonight, like I said, I just want to start with a bit of an introduction uh, to the book. And just so you know the context, so you know what to expect over the coming weeks. Then we'll have a quick two-minute overview of chapters one and two before focusing in on a few verses that are going to um, yeah, set course for the rest of the series. So to give you an intro to the book, um, we're going to watch a short clip from The Bible Project instead of me telling you this guy has a more commanding voice, and he draws cool. So um, have a look at the screen. Paul's letter to the Galatians. It was written to a number of churches in the region of Galatia where Paul had traveled on one of his missionary journeys. You can read the stories in the book of Acts. He wrote this important letter from a place of deep passion and frustration. Here's the backstory. Christianity began as a Jewish messianic movement in Jerusalem, but its message was for all humanity, and so it quickly spread beyond Israel. By Paul's time as a missionary, there were as many non-Jews as there were Jewish people in the Jesus movement, and this sparked a huge debate that we know about from the book of Acts chapter 15. Historically, the covenant people of God were focused in one ethnic group, Israel, and they were set apart by the practices commanded in the Torah, like circumcision of males, eating kosher, observing the Sabbath. And there were many Jewish Christians who believed that for all of these non-Jews to truly become a part of God's family, they needed to obey the laws of the Torah. And so some of these Jewish Christians ended up coming to the Galatian churches. They were undermining Paul and demanding circumcision of all these male non-Jewish Christians. And so many of them were. And when Paul found out, he was brokenhearted and angry. And this letter is the result. All right. Hope you got all that. Uh, you can get this online. I'll put it on the church Facebook page later so you can watch it in its entirety. But, but Christianity came out of Judaism. Uh, it was a fulfillment of these ancient prophecies and promises. And now there was false teaching that said, if you wanted to be a Christian, you had to obey the Jewish rituals and laws, right? Uh, and Paul wanted to stop that. He said, this is rubbish. Uh, this is forgetting the whole point of what it is to be a Christian. And this letter is reminding them that Christians don't need to obey Jewish laws. 
Uh, everything in this letter is about grace. Grace is God's free gift to those who have faith in Jesus. Uh, and that's saturating the whole book uh, of Galatians that we'll be looking at. Uh, so now, let's watch the second part of the video for another minute or so. It's going to give us an overview of chapters 1 and 2. It's a whirlwind journey, but just follow it through. Yeah. He opens by expressing his bewilderment that the Galatians have embraced a different gospel. It's the one promoted by these Christians who badmouth Paul and demand circumcision. So Paul first defends the authenticity of his message and authority as an apostle. He was commissioned by the risen Jesus himself to go to the non-Jewish world. Remember the story from the book of Acts. Paul says it was only later that he went to Jerusalem to consult the other apostles like Peter or James. And when he told them he wasn't requiring non-Jewish Christians to be circumcised or eat kosher, they were in full support. But this tension ran deeper. Peter had come to Antioch to visit and see all of these non-Jewish Christians, and he was eating and mingling with them. But when some of this Jerusalem opposition group showed up in Antioch, Peter caved under their pressure. He stopped eating with these uncircumcised Christians, and he was avoiding them. And so Paul confronted and accused Peter of hypocrisy, of not staying true to the gospel. For Paul, demanding these new Christians to become circumcised and Torah-observant, it's wrong-headed for all kinds of reasons. First of all, because it's a betrayal of the gospel. Or in his words, people are not justified by the works of the Torah, but rather by the faith of Jesus the Messiah. And we have faith in the Messiah Jesus. All right, there's, there's your intro, right? You know everything about the book of Galatians now. Um, so those chapters 1 and 2, they serve as an intro to who Paul is. He, they give his background, how he came to faith, uh, why he has authority to teach, uh, and then teach a bit of background to the controversy, right? The, these people come in to say you need to follow the law. Uh, so that's chapters 1 and 2. We're going to zoom in on a little part in chapters 1 and 2 now. Uh, Jess is going to get up and read the Bible for us, uh, and that will set us up for what we'll be looking at tonight. Thanks, Jess. Hi everyone, tonight's reading is from Galatians 2, verses 15 to 21. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jess. Uh, we're going to be looking at that passage, uh, even, even like just a small part of that passage, actually, we'll see in a moment. But um, does anyone here like gardening? Does anyone like gardening? Yes, so much. That's very emphatic. Cool. Um, my wife loves gardening. Uh, I don't, right? I don't. Uh, because whilst Jackie, uh, my wife, finds it relaxing and, and rewarding, 
I seriously just see it as another thing on my to-do list, right? I'd rather, I'd like, I'd rather just get a concrete truck and like concrete everything, right? How good would that be? Because um, it's, because it's just another thing on my to-do list, uh, and it's a long to-do list, as yours probably is as well, right? I'm already responsible for the well-being and survival of two daughters who have no sense of self-preservation at all, um, and a 14-year-old cat that won't eat anything but deli meats and the residue she licks from my empty porridge bowls in the morning, right? And so the last thing I need is a bunch of plants reliant, right? Like, I'll get in trouble if my cat and kids die, but those plants their last priority, right? And so they're doomed to a slow, painful death. Um, And the last thing I need with these plants is another item on my to-do list. And so I try to simplify as much as possible. Don't want to add extra things to my life because it's just more stuff for me to do. And I've just had enough of doing stuff sometimes. And I love my life. Uh, It's beautiful. It's blessed. It's privileged. But but there's really no denying that it's, it's pretty hectic, right? It's hectic. And it's complicated, I wonder if you feel the same. I'm sure you do. Uh, I know the majority of you in this room are in a different life phase than I am, but your life is still hectic. Uh, your life is still pretty complicated. Not much is basic, hey? Not much is easy. Not much is like two steps, right? Even, even the condensed programs that you might follow are like 10 steps to such and such, right? Uh, and so your life, as mine is, is it's, just get, it's pretty hectic, pretty complex. Uh, in fact, uh, the great understanding, uh, under, people who understand culture so well, um, McDonald's, uh, they picked up this vibe a while ago, it's back in 2006, but I just want to show you this ad they played back in 2006 that's super relevant for today. Now, sorry, um, I don't mean to be uh, promoting any particular fast food um, place uh, in my sermon, so just to keep it balanced, I've thought of one for KFC. Um, uh, chicken, bucket, refresher towel. Simple, right? Uh, so wherever you go, like, just, just keep it simple. Maccas, Maccas were onto that like 13 years ago in 2006. Um, and I reckon the complexities of life have only increased since then, right? Uh, things have become more hectic and more complex and we're left yearning for something a little simpler. The cheeseburger is just not going to cut it. I know because I've tried. Um, and as much... <laughs> As much as Maccas or Marie Kondo or whoever it is want to simplify your life, let's face it, that simplification ends up just being another task on your to-do list, right? And then simplifying is an extra thing you have to do on top of everything else you have to do. Uh, And you don't have time to worry about simplifying because you're just trying to stay alive. Uh, But in the midst of all this, there's some good news. In a world where we seem to have like this increasing complexity in every area of our lives... The good news is that the way we're able to know and experience God is simple. And and if any area needs to be simple, then this is the one, right? Because if there is a God who made you and a God who loves you and a God who offers the world life and peace and forgiveness, then you'd want to know what it takes to know him. Let me repeat. The good news is that the way we are brought into a relationship with God is simple. (sighs) And that's what tonight's passage makes clear. It shows us the problem that stops us from being right with God uh, and then the beautiful, simple solution that will make you right with God. I told you earlier that this Galatians series is going back to basics. This sermon tonight is really just going back to basics as far as you can go, right? I want to get right back to the beginning. What does it mean to be right with God? How does one come to know Jesus? Uh, This may be a message you've heard heaps of times, 
Uh, maybe you've heard it only a handful of times. Maybe you've never heard it before. But, but here, I thought the best place to start with Galatians is to unpack what it means to come to know God through Jesus. Uh, and I'm excited to share with that to you tonight. And um, my prayer is that as we look at this beautiful truth, you're going to consider where you stand with God. Uh, and, and, and I want you to have an opportunity to respond to him with simplicity and faith without the complexities that often get tied up with religion. But as I said before, there's a problem. Uh, and what's stopping us from knowing God? What's the problem that's stopping us from knowing God and being in a right relationship with him? Well, the text gives us that answer. It's one word, actually, and it's mentioned three times. That's justified. Now, work with me for a sec. Galatians, uh, Galatians 2, verse 16. Follow along. Uh, Paul says this. Uh, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Three times it's mentioned in that verse, right? Uh, the word justified basically means to be declared righteous, to be declared right, good, free from any wrongdoing. Think of standing before a judge, you've committed a crime, you know it, he knows it, everyone knows it, and the judge declares you to be in the right. That's what justified means, right? Uh, so, if we need to be justified, if we need to be declared righteous, well, it must mean that we're unrighteous to start with, right? We're bad, we're sinful, we're lawbreakers. And this is one of the central ideas of Christianity, by our very nature, as beautiful and as wonderful as you and the people around you are, we're God's enemies because we've rebelled against him. I'm sure you've heard the word for this, uh, which carries with it so many different connotations, but it's sin, right? Sin. Uh, and now often we think of sin as like a list of bad things we do, right? Where you can write, oh, what are all the sins I did today? And three hours later, you have a list there in front of you. Uh, but that's not the case. It's not really lists of things that you've done. Sin is, in, in its basic form, rebellion against God. Rebellion against his rightful rule of our lives. And so, yes, it does include a list of things that you might do, like lying or murder or cheating or stealing. Hopefully not murder. But, uh, uh, but at the heart of this, the heart of all these things you do that are wrong, uh, is this desire to live your own way, not God's way. And if God is the king of everything, as I think he is, and as the Bible says he is, and we refuse to live under his rule, then we're under his judgment. And that makes sense. We're his enemies by nature. We're not in a good relationship with him because we're sinful. We're unrighteous. And this is something that's pretty much universally acknowledged. Uh, if you look at most religions, you'll see a path that is paved out to be made right with their God uh, or their universal force. So Eastern religions, you think of Buddhism and Hinduism, you have karma. Now, that's, karma's not there to help you be made right with a God, uh, but, but it is to help you escape this cycle of birth uh, and rebirth, like this reincarnation, so that you may finally escape the suffering of life uh, and the pain of life. And the requirements of keeping good karma are remarkable. They're huge and many, but they're exhausting and complicated. You've got to be on your guard. Uh, but then think of traditional God-based religions, right? Uh, and then 
they'll always have a series of laws and rules and actions that one must keep in order to stay in God's good books. And again, they're exhausting and many. You think of things like animal human sacrifice, they're not a reality for us, but they've existed for millennia for this very reason. People believe there's a God and have this clear understanding that they're not right with him and, and something has to pay a penalty. And so these animals are slaughtered on their behalf. Even some religious people today practice this thing called flagellation where they beat and whip and cut themselves to try to purge the sin out of their life because they understand that I'm not right with God and I I need to do something to make it up. Again, painful, exhausting, complicated. And even if you're not religious, there's still similar pathways, right, to, to righteousness, to being good. There's a common understanding you probably heard this. You can't just be a jerk and do what you want, right? You've probably tried and failed. Uh, and so society has standards and norms that are created by the culture around them to define how we should live, what we should and shouldn't do. Uh, and if we fall outside of that, well, we're not under God's judgment because there is no God. We're under the judgment of society around us. And again, these rules are many and exhausting and they differ with each culture that you're a part of and with each passing year and exhausting and complicated again it's almost universally acknowledged that we have a problem with sin we're not the way we should be and we need to be fixed but again it's just more on the to-do list isn't it the process is hectic exhausting complex another very very long to-do list i suppose a bit more relevant for us is this uh, the Jewish religion, Judaism, uh, described in the Old Testament of the Bible that we have here, it had a religious and ceremonial code that was called the law, right? Paul refers to it many times in Galatians. This included rituals like male circumcision, animal sacrifice, rules for godly living. It was given by God, but not as a way to earn his favour, not as a way to be saved, but as a way to separate them from others and as a reminder of their reliance on God and how to live for him. But many Jews, as we heard in the video before, they became overly religious and superstitious and they started thinking that obeying these laws by the word, by the letter, was going to make them right with God and, and really that's all that mattered, following these well, uh, rules to the T. Uh, and then some of these Jews became Christians and now they're importing this, this garbage into Christianity and saying not only do Jews have to follow these laws to be right with God, that Christians also do. So you Christians... You're continuing the Jewish religion and you have to follow these rules to be right with God. And again, it's exhausting and complicated. And Paul's saying that obedience to this God-given law cannot make you right with God. He says it a few times. Righteousness does not come through the law. Justification does not come through the law. And the reminder for us today is that if this God-given good law in the Bible can't make you right with God, then nothing else you're having a stab at is going to do it either. If God's written, given law isn't going to make you right with him, your own, your own efforts, as wonderful as they may be, still aren't going to work. Uh, now, look, it doesn't matter how much of a good or kind or nice person you are. I appreciate your good and kind and nice actions, and many people do as well. But then they might make the world a bit nicer and happier, but they're not going to repair your relationship with God, and that's bad news. But uh, as I said before, there's a solution, and... Thank God for that. There is a way to be forgiven. There's a way for your guilt to be completely removed. There's a way to be made right with God. And it's not a complicated to-do list. It's not a bunch of rituals or religious observances. So what's the solution? 
Well, it's also mentioned three times in verse 16. I'll read verse 16 again, right? Chapter 2, verse 16, Paul says, We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith, there it is, in Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Faith, faith in Jesus Christ, that's the solution. Uh, But what does it look like to have faith in Jesus Christ? Faith is more than just belief, right? Uh, It's more than just believing that Jesus existed. That's a well-known fact that Jesus of Nazareth lived 2,000 years ago. It's actually even more than just believing that he was God's son and that he died and rose again. It's more than just a cognitive agreement with the idea of Jesus and what he did. Faith in this context is a transference of trust. A transference of trust. It's saying, I'm no longer going to trust in my own good deeds uh, to give me life and purpose and forgiveness and meaning and a relationship with God. Instead, I'm going to trust in the work of Jesus. I'm going to trust in the work of Jesus as the only way I can be made right with God. And this is the simplicity of the Christian message. It's not about what you can do. It's about what Jesus has done for you. It's his to-do list, not yours. And it's relieving. Because the Bible makes it clear that God demands a perfect life and then it makes it clear that Jesus lived a perfect life. He was the only one who fulfilled the law perfectly. He was the only one who perfectly obeyed and loved and acknowledged God throughout his life. And when he died, he died to take the punishment that we deserved. He lived the life we should have lived, died the death that we deserved for our rebellion. He was taking our blame on our behalf. But even more than that, when he died, he he took our blame, but he gave us his righteousness. He gave us his perfection. And so when God looks upon us, when we have faith in Christ, Jesus' righteousness counts for us. As if we had done those deeds instead of being a sinner. And then to cap it all off, he, he rose again. He came back to life confirming that he did live this perfect life, that death couldn't hold him because he was, he was perfect, and then guaranteeing our new life, both now and forever. Putting it another way, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Christ never sinned, but God treated him as a sinner. Why? So that Christ could make us acceptable to God. Jesus never sinned, but God treated him as a sinner so that we, humankind, could be made acceptable to God. It's not through our own good deeds. Uh, If you want to be in a relationship with God who loves you and who knows you and who made you and offers forgiveness and life and purpose and beauty and hope and a future, you need to stop trusting your good deeds, your efforts, your religion, your status. It's just exhausting and complicated. Trust Jesus' work on your behalf. He's done the work for you. He's ticked off the to-do list and he reaches out his hands and as he says in Matthew, come to me all who are weary and burdened by this weight of law on your back and I'll give you rest. It's a promise for no more searching, no more striving. And look, it's not a promise that other areas of your life will become less complicated. They'll probably continue to be just as complicated as ever. Uh, I'm sorry about that. Uh, but, but when it comes to knowing God, which I suppose is the biggest thing, All the work's been done for you. Stop trying. It's a waste of time. The call is to come to Jesus, to lay our guilt before him, to ask for his forgiveness and trust him as king. 
And so I know there's people here tonight who have never put their faith in Jesus. Uh, People who are still living with the burden of their sin and guilt uh, and are exhausted trying to sort themselves out, either to earn the favour of God or earn the favour of society around them or try to just be that person they think they should be. I know there's people there like that. And so this is an important message for you. Jesus says, come to me. I'll give you rest. He's the end of your striving and searching. He says, I'll sort you out. I'll make you right with God. And tonight I want to give you a chance to do that, to transfer your trust from yourself to Jesus. Be relieved of exhaustion and complexity in your spiritual life. Confess your sins. Come to him as king uh, and trust in all that he has done on your behalf. But this message is equally important for all of us long-term Christians. And as people in this room have been Christians for 40, 50 years, right? And this message is still important because it is the essence of all of what we believed. Uh, Be reminded that you're made right with God, not because of your good deeds that you've been doing for 40 or 50 years, but, but because of what Jesus has done for you. Your sin is completely paid for as well. Uh, you're declared righteous, you're clean before God. You should no longer live in guilt or fear. It's been done away with. And the, the freedom that comes from that is immense. Knowing that Jesus has set you free from sin and now, as Paul says, you live for Christ. It's Christ who lives in you. You're empowered to live for him. And you'll, you'll have a chance to pray and be reminded of that and acknowledge that in a moment as well. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray. And if you're a Christian, you'll have a chance to be reminded of the freedom you have in Christ and to thank him for that Uh, and to just be relieved again and reminded of the fact that your sins are no longer on you, Uh, that God is is not seeking your perfect obedience because he already has that in Jesus. But if you're not a believer, if you're not someone who follows Jesus, you'll have a chance to transfer your trust to Jesus, to be forgiven, to be brought into a right relationship with God and find freedom from your striving. Life's exhausting. We know it, right? It's complicated. But the cool thing is that coming to God is not. It's not. It's not what these Judaizers were trying to do, adding lists and rules on top. It is simple. It's not a list of laws and rules. It's faith in what Jesus has done on your behalf. Jesus, faith, righteous. Simple. And when you have come to Jesus, you have this assurance that you're forgiven. Uh, and that you're made right with God. And in a world that calls us to strive and earn and work harder and hustle more, Jesus gives us grace, a free gift, and says, it's all done, mate. What a relief. So I'm going to pray now. I'm going to pray, pray a simple prayer uh, for you to follow along with me, whether you're a Christian or not, right? Uh, this prayer will give you a chance to commit to Jesus as the one who completes the work for you and helps you to find peace in the end of your searching. After I've prayed the prayer, the band's going to come up and play and a couple of the pastors are going to be out the front. We'd love to pray with you. If you've decided to trust Jesus tonight, just come up and sit with us and we'll pray with you. We'll talk you through it. Uh, We'll chat about what it's all about, right? I know it might be weird to stand up. Well, everyone's going to be standing up anyway, right? I know it might be weird to walk up the front. You're not going to be on stage. But just come and hang with us. We'd love to pray with you. We don't want to miss this opportunity to, to help you through the power of Jesus to be just relieved of this burden and guilt and complexity that life often throws at you. So please take that opportunity up the front to come and pray with us. Uh, I'm going to pray now. So if you'd like to bow your heads together, I'm just going to pray and please just pray this prayer in your head, whether you're a believer or not, to, 
to just be reminded of the grace that Jesus gives. Jesus, I know that through my own effort, I'll never be able to make myself right with God. I'm a sinner. I'm a rebel. And I'm sorry. Thank you for dying and rising again to make me right with God. I ask for your forgiveness. Please come and dwell in me as my King and my Saviour. And for those of us who already know this, please remind us of that forgiveness and life that we already have in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please, as the band prays, if you want to chat or pray, please come and see me at the front and I'd love to help you.